Hello, and welcome to episode one of our top 50 games of all time. Today, we're here with the three usual hosts, Jim, Robin, and Amy. And today, we're going to go over our first 10 games in our top 50 games of all time. That is our bottom 10 games. For those who care about ordering, 50 to 41. <laughs> 50 to 41 is correct. Absolutely. You wouldn't believe how many messages we had across WhatsApp <laughs> clarifying if this Obviously was 50 to 41 or up 1 to 10. Down. Yes, it like, goes down. Because we played a ton of games, like everybody at the table has played a ton of games, 50 to 41 is still very good. To be in the top 50 means it's probably staying in, in the collection. Yeah, I think... No risk at all. <laughs> Pre-pandemic the global event not the board game i think we had a year where ab played over 300 unique games i think he continues to play like that many (laughs) unique games per year so many so when we say things in the top 50 these are super solid games at least on ab's list my list is probably you can you can have it (laughs) you can leave it it's up to you it's uh it's more i think you'll get a shape of my personality more for my top 50 than visa actually good games yeah i definitely i ranked all the way down to 200 and then i thought how many of these games do i really love and then i cut it back to like 45 that i really really loved and finding those last five games was hard i eventually did it i love every game on my list right now would be happy to play all of them but this is more than just a ranking of all the games we've played these are games we really love And without further ado, I guess we just jump into our top 50 lists. Uh, Robin, did you want to start us off with the first of our number 50s? Yeah, I'll start us off. So obviously there's a lot of uh, honorable mentions that could be on this list. And I think, you know, we'll probably do a a big list of honorable mentions at the end of, of this top 50. But my 50th game is in some ways an honorable mention of its own. My 50th game is Pandemic Legacy and Risk Legacy. I really love both of these experiences, but didn't get to finish either of them. Uh, I know they should both be on this list, but it's so hard to place them when I don't have the final context of what the game is like. And so much of my experience is kind of based in the nostalgia of just being with those groups of people playing these games. Uh, I I loved both of these experiences and would happily finish either of them, although I don't think that will ever actually happen. But I needed to somehow represent them on my top 50, and for now, they're going to sit here in number 50th. So wait, how far did you get in each one? I got halfway in Risk Legacy, um, which is you see most of the content, and I got three quarters, maybe just halfway, three quarters of the way in. Okay, so you got a pretty good sense of... I did get a pretty good sense of both of them. Both of them. I think both of these would be higher on my list, um, just because I love the legacy format and the idea that like you're competing, completing something with a group of people, uh, and both of these games were really fun. On top of that, so we'll see if other games uh, that are legacy games can make it farther up this list. But for now, that's where they sit. My number fifty, Pandemic Legacy and Risk Legacy. So you know, there's a lot of uh, personalities out there who do their own top fifty lists, and I think. When we approach the subject, we decide to kind of go away independently to form our lists. So I think across each individual on this podcast, um, there'll be different criteria of how we decide to place games on our list. I know uh, for me, I generally run a 
two-dimensional scale of um, judging games, one on how well I think the game was designed, uh, and another a horizontal axis, if you will, of exactly how fun I found playing the game. And when compiling my list of 50, when you really consider it, uh, it's a very personal list, so I very much uh, was biased towards games I just found fun and would never say no to if someone brought it to a convention or brought it around to my place and said, hey, I have this game. Uh, if you're in the top 10, I will definitely say yes. I will drop everything, rush over, and play this game. That was really how I approached my list. A lot of my list is made from just what I remember being fun and what I am very nostalgic uh, of playing. So are these the best games, in my opinion? No, but these are the games that I remember most fondly and would be very, very happy to play again. Some of them are, you know, you know not something I would always recommend, that someone else pick up and play, but for some reason or another, they have a place in my heart and I would always be happy to play all these games. Something listeners should know is that I have a wide range of taste of games, I would say, or I love like light games, card games, uh, all the way to like heavy, uh, heavy euros. So I split my list into two separate ones. We're going to, for these to this top 50, it's mostly going to be medium, light, medium to heavy uh, games and I have a separate list of lighter ones uh, just because I have trouble ranking um, a game of insider against something like Indonesia or something it's a it's very difficult for me uh, so it was much easier to kind of go through just these kind of heavier experiences and for me it's really about ones that I always want to go back to and and really, yeah, how much f fun I had have playing the game um, subsequently as well. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. I think we're going to have like maybe 20 to 30 games that overlaps every list. And then I think there's the rest of the games, there'll be zero overlap. It won't be like, oh yeah, I have it on my list, but AB doesn't have it on his list. It'll be Jim is really into that game and only Jim is into that game. And that's fine because everyone has their personal preference. And hopefully you find someone on this podcast who you kind of relate to, trust their opinions of, because I know that's how I find my board games. There's a couple of personalities out there who, um, who I align with on uh, when judging board games. And I usually trust them when I go out to seek further purchases. So... Yeah, I think there's a lot of diversity in this group, and I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's lists. I would bet that you are the most likely to have games that are both on mine and AB's list. Really? Are, are you actually going to tally? I'll tally what we all have. Okay. Yeah, um, we should probably keep track of when we have like a triple, yeah. triple crossover. <clears throat> yeah, that'd be good. I think Jim is the most normal. Not, the the, not even the most normal. <laughs> no. I just think you and AB, there's like some games that you and AB have, have both really fallen in love with. And I think there's games that you and me have both really fallen in love with. And me and AB... Hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. don't yeah. talk outside this podcast. Just yeah. have like less... I don't know. We're more divisive in our tastes. Yeah. Yeah. I would not say. always. Well, it depends on the like mechanisms or like what. Yeah. yeah. Work a placement, for instance, you guys hate. Um, I would say I'd like it, but not pure... Sure. Like if it's like yeah if it's a run-of-the-mill like architects of the west kingdom kind of thing but it doesn't like, not turn generally you, enjoy hearing it. worker placement doesn't turn you off playing right. a game yeah I mean, no maybe no it, it does. doesn't turn me off no 
Yeah, it just has to like be something yeah, a little bit new to, pit, to the. But that's like every. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 True. Maybe not. There's a lot of like very mundane yeah. worker placement games out there. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Place a worker. Take it's an like action, maybe the easiest resources. Yeah, it's maybe the easiest first-time designer Kickstarter type of game. One hundred percent. Honey buzz. She <laughs> <You> can't. <laughs> It's on my list. My number 49, <laughs> Honey Buzz. Yeah. Okay. If I had played it. I haven't played it, so yeah. otherwise it would be up Oh, you there. haven't played it. It's no. actually... It's not as bad as... I don't think it's as bad as both Sean and AB <laughs> make it out to be. There was a definite fourth player disadvantage, right. which the designer, when he was showing it off to us at PAX, was like... Oh, sorry, Shucks. He was like, oh... Yeah, that is super bad. And fixed it up <laughs> oh, in the release good. edition. That's good. That at least yeah. super. You're right. You you simply can't take an action. Okay. <laughs> we'll fix that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number 50 is a game that I've dove fairly deep on. It was a Kickstarter game. And that is Millennium Blades. Millennium Blades is, I would almost argue, more of an experience or simulation than a game. It's a game as such where you are basically going on this collectible card game journey in a three hour time space. So there's a phase where you're going off and simulating buying cards for your competitive TCG deck. And then there's another phase where you all compete with, um, with that deck in a way to score the most points. Um, I would say the actual competing with your decks is the least fun out of it. And even in isolation, the real-time aspect of buying and hunting for cards and making trades is chaotic and fun. And it's led to a lot of uh, very uh, high-paced, high-action moments that mm -hmm. I really grow fond of when playing board games. And so, yeah easily in my top 50 but again really more of an experience if you're thinking of like a very strategic game that you can sit down this is not it this is just chaotic yeah. fun yeah we only bring it out at conventions because it plays best at five and um really you want more players who are uh really competing for when those cards turn up in the shop so mm -hmm. um yes but always never a dull moment in the game and so it's it's number 50 for me yeah it's definitely one that has just a great table presence and it feels it feels like the game that is trying to evoke or like the, the yeah. type of play um and the real time like buying and trading of cars is is easily the best part the battle part of it is yeah, like the battle part is really tacked on yeah, if that degree. was just the game i would like throw it out yeah yeah but but there is the stress of like the building mm -hmm. your hand and trying to both compete in in the battle arena portion of it and then also building sets and yeah this game is great it has its problems but it's an amazing game yeah it's a game where everyone's standing up like that's it's a very small part of the game but like everyone's standing up they're invested into the board state everything's happening at the same time but the wads of cash you're using to purchase cards with is like five paper bills yeah, yeah. taped together it's very thematic probably one phase. of the best Paper board money. game components yeah yeah the best paper money hands down yeah because it's a bundle of paper money. yeah this one falls into a camp that is going to show up a bunch on my list and probably yours as well it's just anything that's like kind of a convention game gets like a five percent boost 
Mm. And mm-hmm. this falls into that category for me. And that was my 50, Millennium Blades. Uh, my 50 is one that doesn't make it a table a lot, but when it does, I think about it a lot <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I don't know if either you have played, but it's called Goa. Yep. By Rudiger Dorn. I have not. I love Goa. Oh, is this the auction and this off is the actions? Auction, action. Yeah, so each okay. each round you have uh, auction to... You choose something on the on the board to auction, and if you buy it, you pay the bank, and if somebody else buys it, they pay you. So it really is one of the first that I played with that that sort of mechanism where it's the it's a sort of a closed economy, and you're bu- buying improvements to your player board. And after the auction round, you get to like uh, improve and um, upgrade your your uh, player board as well. So it's you're buying these resources and kind of managing. Uh, your money throughout it doesn't sound particularly new because it's a very old game like i think the uh, it was 2004 i believe uh, that this one came out but i think it's stayed in my collection particularly because it's like very pure with the mechanisms that it it engages with um, which is really that sort of player interaction and um yeah racing for elements on the on the game board or that you're auctioning off. Yeah, I, I think player interaction is the key here. It, it has so much player interaction for a game that isn't like an area control or like fighty game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it really shines through. I enjoyed this one, but have only played it once. So mm-hmm. same, just once, but left an impression. Hope, hoping for a retheme reprint or like a remaster. Yeah, yeah, I would think there's probably a retheme idea somewhere in there, but because um, it is very yellow beige yes <laughs> yeah pale yeah but i think that this is a game that is one of the oldest ones i've kept around uh in my collection so that's my number 50 goa my number 49 is a game that doesn't seem like a game i would love there's nothing special about it it's just kind of a mix of a bunch of mechanisms that have been done to death before but the way that you have to kind of uh, slowly turn resources into other resources and be very uh, particular with how you spend those resources is something that I find pretty interesting and pretty fascinating. So this game is The Lost Runes of Arnak. You start this game thinking it's an adventure game where you're going through the jungle and fighting monsters, but in reality, it's a resource management game that is incredibly tight. You're thinking four to five actions ahead, how you're going to use every single resource you have in your resource pool. And you have basically already planned out the end of the round before the round has even started. There always has to be some give and take when people take your worker spots, but generally you can plan a huge amount uh, before it even happens. And you have to think so far ahead because there's these predefined contract fulfillment spots uh, as you move up across the map that have to be completed in a certain order. I know this isn't for everyone, and there are a lot of things that people say about it, like it is just a bunch of reused mechanics, and none of them feel interesting. Uh, I love the theme. I love trying to figure out that puzzle of how am I going to use every single one of these resources that I'm gaining, and how to be as efficient as possible. And I think it's a great game for new players because it doesn't feel like you're so tight if you're not thinking about it that way. But it's also a game for players that have played like 20 times because you really start to see the intricacies of how to use your resources as efficiently as possible. Yeah, I have this one on my list 
in my top 50 as well, which I was kind of surprised about because I was always quite lukewarm towards the game for the same reasons. Um, it's not overly innovative, but not every game has to be, especially now that we're kind of getting into the age where there's a new five board games coming out every week. I will say they take a lot of good mechanisms and add to it, though. It's not totally unoriginal, you know. Mm-hmm. Even the uh, deck builder element of Lost Ruins of Arnak, the fact that the card you buy goes to the top of your deck and not your discard pile. It's a great little quality of life change. Right. Um, and every time I play it, I it looks fairly static. You have a board with worker placement and you have a track that you're trying to climb for a lot of in-game scoring. Um, but every time I play it, I find I surprise myself with how much strategy is in the game. I've tried one strategy where I just use helpers. I try to get like the gold state helper as fast as I can and just like constantly use and free uh, free up. I'm going to use the term tap and untap, but just like abuse that to climb up the track really fast and kind of ignore the worker placement portion of it. I've used one where all I'm doing is just taking the free slots, which are like the lower value resources and then just using the upgrade ability to get them to the red rubies that I need to um, use Mm. to get up further on the track. So um, it will surprise you after like, after two games, I was like, okay, I get it. I get this game. But then at about my fifth play of it, I was like, oh, there's actually a lot of strategic options that I didn't consider after the first two plays. So, um, yeah, I was looking for excuses to take it off my list, but every time I play it, it's like, no, it's a solid game, and I actually do have fun playing it. For me, maybe what you were saying is exactly why I should give it more of a try, because I did go in thinking it would be more of a like sort of like a jungle adventure kind of game, um, and maybe that left an impression where I like didn't get what I expected, which is you know, maybe a fault of the artist for having such an evocative cover. <laughs> but um, I, w- I, w- I would say I enjoyed the play of it. So I, I think like with more plays, I would get, I, yeah, I would get more into it, especially looking at it as a sort of like tighter, tighter game. Because I always thought it was more sandboxy kind of romp through the jungle kind of thing going into it. Yeah, if you play like five or six games ranked on board game arena you will just get crushed yeah because mm. people are ruthless with how uh yeah how the lines of play are so so thought out ahead and so right. extremely meticulous that you know you're just way in behind which might be a good place to try it out again on board game arena yeah it is it because is a good of that. spot for sure uh i will say the expansion is great too it adds player powers for each of the characters and each character, while not completely unique, has a mechanism on the board that is different than any other character. So it adds variability and is a lot of fun. That's my number 49, Lost Runes of Arnak. My number 49 game is Notre Dame. This game is one that I'm going to have a bit of difficulty explaining, even though I played it a bunch of times. And it's because we tend to just bring it out by default sometimes it's like what do you want to play well we haven't played notre dame in a year let's just play it and no one says no yeah and it's like very easy to like just get back into it yeah like yeah. nobody needs a refresher it's great it's rolls yeah. light it's uh, the mechanism's very interesting it plays good at various player counts because a modular board 
that you set up is very smart and intelligent. There's a rat track. We all love a rat track. And there's multiple lines of play, which is, I think, a theme that you'll find that especially Robin and myself really enjoy discovering in a game is uh, specific strategies that you can pull out or just testing weird things that might not work while being able to ignore other parts of the game which other people might be focusing on. Yeah, it's a game where you decide three cards that you want to add to a collective uh subset or deck of cards that gets shuffled you just draft it's just a normal draft right 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 you take one and pass it along um and in typical fashion each card will be specific to a, a area on the board which you can basically build up your strength in or use to mitigate uh the plague infecting your specific player board will help build uh notre dame so there's a lot of ways to get points there's a lot of strategies and pathways you can take Again, it's very easy to just pick up and play. And I think mechanically, it's just solid. It's not a bad thing I can really say about this game. Yeah, I like to explain this game as worker placement. But every time you place your worker on an action, it stays there. And then it gets stronger next time you take it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't take any action you want because the draft is what's dictating which actions you can take. But understanding that, hey, like the fifth time I place my worker on the money spot... I get $5 instead of $1, which is insane because most games that wouldn't work at all. <laughs> but for some reason it works here because your actions are so limited by what you can draft. Yeah, so, like everybody will have some action that is pretty strong yeah. or somebody will kind of balance out all their actions mm-hmm. a little bit more. It is also very punishing, which mm-hmm. we tend to like. Uh, n- there's almost no interaction except for the drafting, but the fact that the game is punishing feels like you know, the game is going to hurt you if someone else doesn't. Yeah, Feld has definitely chilled out a bit <laughs> in, his, in his old age, but his old games, definitely a lot of punishment there. Yeah. That's my number 49, Notre Dame. My number 49 kind of harkens back to this geek list that I have been maintaining, which is games with like a European <laughs> man on its cover. <laughs> oh my God. And so th- this game is definitely exemplary of that. And it is Hansa Teutonica. Um, and this one is like maybe a very drab theme. It is trading in medieval Europe. You are establishing market towns in this sort of German Hanseatic league, um, in the middle ages. And it really is for me, like one of the purest kind of route building, uh, Euro games. It's just, it's just very, very easy to explain. Like you kind of put people out and connect different towns, um, but there's a lot of interaction in terms of like where you put your trade routes out because you can block other players and they have they they can kick you out, but they give you a benefit for for kicking kicking you out. So it's very and highly interactive, and I think just every time I I play out, I get reminded like, oh, this is why I I really like this game. Yeah, I haven't played this enough. I think what you said is true. It's easy to teach and it's easy to understand what's happening, but not the consequences that your actions have. Mm -hmm. I remember playing this the first time and you were at the other table, I think, and you walked over and you're like, why are you letting this happen? And one player was just shooting up the the point track. I just didn't know that I was (laughs) letting it happen at the time. Right. Yeah. It takes a couple plays and definitely is maybe punishing for a new player Mm -hmm. uh, if everybody else knows what's going on. But I think that means it has depth. And it's a game sitting on my shelf and probably in the top 10 games that I would love to to take off and play more. So 
this doesn't make it's my also list, but. very pretty like even mm-hmm. though the theme is is blind the map and artwork is is really nice yeah um just feels like a classic hero it's also one of the first games that i played where you were improving your own player board i love mm-hmm. yeah it's one of my f- favorite mechanics is to remove a piece to unlock my own special ability mm-hmm. in a game and Hansa Teutonica does it really well. That's such a great part of it too, is that there's a sort of emergent asymmetry that's going on. Like you, you kind of get a sense of where people are trying to trying to score those big points, like connecting across the map, or they're trying to just hit all these like towns on the edge, that kind of thing. And that was my number 49, Hansa Teutonica. My 48th game is a game that I've been playing quite a bit of, and I'm kind of surprised made this list. This is Dead Reckoning. Dead Reckoning is a game that came out recently that uses the card crafting system where you slide laminate sheets into sleeves with cards in them and upgrade your cards instead of upgrading your entire deck. Each card is a crew member and they slowly get better over time as you run around the Caribbean uh, controlling islands or sinking small ships or sinking your opponent's ships. I'm always looking for a really good pirate game. For a long time, I was hoping this is the one that would do it. The battle resolution is really cool. Upgrading your crew is really cool. Uh, the art is beautiful. It basically has everything I want, but the gameplay itself feels very mechanical. It doesn't feel kind of like AB said, where sandboxy. it doesn't feel sandboxy. It doesn't feel like you're living the life of a pirate. It feels more like you're trying to optimize a route around the Caribbean that gets you points. It kind of feels like your job is pirate. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. You're not a pirate. Your job is to be a pirate. Just do well and we'll give you your yearly evaluation in about a month. Exactly. I love this game still, and I've played it a whole bunch, and I am starting to play the campaign, which is really cool, mm-hmm. uh, and adds a lot of piratey things like burying treasure, which you can't do in the base game, which I love, and does slowly start to get there. This might be my favorite pirate game at the moment, but I'm hoping that something like Emergence of Marauders or something that comes out in the future can replace it. But for now, this is making my list as the flagship pirate game in my collection. Good pun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is the best pirate game I can think of right now. I mean, I haven't played a couple up there, like you mentioned, Merchants and Marauders, What We Count Archipelago. Is that piracy? No. 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 Um, Yeah, so I think it outstays its welcome a bit just a bit i think like there's a mechanism of me just trying to get the most money and then protecting the islands that i have invested in with a whole bunch of cannons and forts and that gets a bit boring i don't want to build up forts and cannons on a island that doesn't sound piratey to me i want to go uh, raid merchant ships blow up other people i think the better plays i've had is when that you know there isn't much of that sort of like turtling Mm -hmm. everybody just like rushing around trying to get Trying to get the end game triggers, actually. Yeah. Like, I think that's the better... Mm-hmm. It feels better. It feels less like someone's turtling up and and just reserving those... Yeah, building up forts and stuff. Yeah, the end game points. Yeah, and it just it definitely slows down the game. But yeah, I agree that it does feel a little long. But the best... It, it's There's so many great parts to it. And, mm-hmm. and just building your deck and that part of the deck and hand management is... Yeah, really good. Yeah, the the tech tree aspect where you can't upgrade everything. Like, you just Mm -hmm. don't have enough actions to upgrade all your crew. You do need to pick what you want to upgrade. Yeah. Which is really cool. And it it allows you to play many more times trying different things and and seeing what works. Well, when you craft a card that's just, like, really good for your strategy, it feels so good. That is true, (laughs) for sure. That's my 48. That is Dead Reckoning. 
my number 48 is a game that reminds me of my childhood. It is one that definitely isn't going to show up in anyone else's list, I think. Current times, 2023, the biggest hot video game out right now is Baldur's Gate 3. My favorite video game in all of existence is Baldur's Gate 2. It is nigh perfect as is a video game. Is that the one game. with Boo? Uh, well, it, he's in Baldur's Gate 1. Oh, he's in and Baldur's two. Gate 2. And 2? Yeah. yeah. Especially if you port him in. Because <laughs> you can just port in your whole crew from Baldur's Gate 1 into Baldur's Gate yeah. 2. Oh, yeah. right, right. And which is the recommended version, way to play that game. But... I would spend two to three hours making the character I want to play in Baldur's Gate 2. And it would take that long because the way you make your character is very Dungeons and Dragons-like in that you roll your ability scores and you uh, assign those to your abilities. This board game takes that and just builds a game out of it. There's no role-playing involved. There's no sending your character off. It is just building your character and it's very reminiscent of Baldur's Gate 2 for me so my number 48 game is role player AB actually introduced me to this game I knew nothing about it but it is a dice drafting and then dice manipulation game about building the most well I don't want to say the best character or the most interesting character it's just playing towards what your chosen race or class uh, Mm -hmm. is that you've been dealt or drafted at the beginning of the game. There's been several expansions later which introduce combat during the game and there's been a whole nother game where you get to take your creative character and send them off to adventures. But yeah, just distilling it down to purely that two-hour time frame I was just re-rolling my character on Baldur's Gate was is, is why this game is on my list it's very pretty easy to teach like you go it's really like a, a linked draft where you can draft a higher value die but you're going kind of later in turn order for drafting items for your character or you could go with lower value and have first pick at some of the items that have come out that round so it's such a simple turn like you pick one die and then pick it pick an item mm-hmm. so it's a uh, pretty easy to get into lay it on me robin what do you hate about this game i think if you told me all this and I hadn't played the game, I'd be like, this is awesome. I want to play so badly. The mechanics for me never made me as excited as I feel like I need to be to love a game. And while the theme is great and the whole idea of building a character and yeah, just having a full story out of a game that there's, it's not a story game, but you build a character in your mind and the reason they're a thief and the reason that they have this, you know, gold chalice for some reason and all this stuff. Uh, and the reason their intelligence is like a three, but their dexterity is like <laughs> a, a four or whatever, 18. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's really cool. Yeah, for me, the mechanics don't pay off, but I can totally see why this could be someone's favorite game. I just like that it's that character creation part. It's yeah. just such yeah. a funny It's a game about character idea, creation. Yeah. It, there's a whole other game you can play. Yeah. But no, no, no. We're just all about the character creation. here. And they've made ways for you to like port this into mm-hmm. a real game, which is yeah. pretty funny as well. Yeah. And that's number 48, role player. Uh, my number 48 is one that I've been meaning to get back into, into the table. That might be a recurring theme for this lower part of the top 50. Um, but this is an Uwe Rosenberg game. It was his fifth game and is called Aura et Labora. So this is also in the series of games with a medieval... Uh, Western European person <laughs> on the cover, man on the cover. Um, so 
in this game, you're, it was one first to use like the sort of resource wheel kind of mechanism that Uwe has uh, revisited a couple times. But really, each, each uh, turn, you're progressing this resource wheel, and all resources on that gain value or gain... Um, all the resources on the wheel increase. So, in and then value, you're right? in value, yeah. And then you're drafting or you're taking resources from that wheel um, on your turn. And you're building up your player board. And this is something he's revisited a lot where or there's a sort of emergent asymmetry in terms of the buildings that you build on your, in your tableau and like kind of inform the strategy that you're, you're going after. But this one, yeah, it's really stuck with me as like one that was a pioneer in that type of gameplay where you're building up a sort of combo of actions on your on your own player board that kind of ladder up to these end game points. It's been so long since I played this. I can't say if I loved it or not. I can't really remember. But I do remember opening the box and seeing how many different resources there are. There's like 20 something resources. Yeah. They're double sided. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think there's like 10 and then there's like the other side of them, which are like upgraded versions. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't find it that fun to in my first playthrough because this was one of the heaviest games mm-hmm. I was introduced to at the very start of playing board games. And I was just trying to keep up with everything. There's like a wheel, there's resources, there's like placement of, I think, the buildings or the pastures you're creating on your player board. That means a whole big deal. Like if you don't plan that out properly you're not gonna score Mm -hmm. a lot of points there's just a lot going on but i played it probably a couple of times since and it connects really well once you understand like what you're supposed to be doing and how this all interplays and how timing is is something you should think about beyond what you're going to do on this turn and it was a big lesson for me in my uh, jump from like medium games to heavy games so yeah this is an uwe rosenberg one that's stuck around in my collection there's been a few of his that i've really enjoyed but i've kind of fallen um out of love with like caverna being one of them i really enjoyed that like kind of early in my like exploring heavier euro games but i like his tighter designs and this one mm-hmm. felt like that and that was my number 48 or at labora all right my number 47 is also a game like ab said that i loved playing but haven't played enough and want to get back to the table this game is dominant species and dominant species marine i haven't played dominant species marine i played dominant species a couple times i really enjoyed it making a big assumption it's as good as the original i hope it is but i can't be sure the parts of dominant species that i really really loved is the thematic ties to the game the way the area control itself works is insanely cool there is a lot of aggression towards other players but it's kind of done in an indirect way where you're able to alter the environment that everyone is in and Mm -hmm. that changes how strong different people are in those environments well what's interesting it usually affects more than one player absolutely yeah so it's like it's not necessarily a direct attack right exactly um yeah it's such a cool game and the theme is amazing the parts that i didn't love the original were that there is just so many options on the worker placement board Mm mm-hmm you can place anywhere you want and yeah every action is so affects so much on the main board that taking any action is is crucial like it every action really really matters mm-hmm. um the change they made in marine which i haven't played but i think ab has is that you can only place pawns underneath where you've already placed your current pawn so you slowly diminish the amount of choices you make over the round when you eventually have to pull all your pawns back 
uh, into your supply and skipping a turn. So I like the idea that there is some idea of what other players can do because maybe they've already placed their pawn mm-hmm. halfway down the board. They can only place their pawn on spaces that are lower than that or pull them back. And you're trying to time out when the best time to place your pawns high or low is and then also try to find a spot where another player is pulling all their pawns back and releasing those spots to be used again. Marine does only play four players, but honestly, at a game this uh, of this weight and length, I'm probably totally fine with that. Yeah, I have not played Marine, okay. but I am looking forward to it because of that. Like, yes. I think eliminating a bit of the choice, like the analysis paralysis maybe is is great. But what I do love about Dominant Species is that worker placement yeah. phase. It's just like, it is one of the first to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the first one was Bus where it was like you place workers and you resolve it from top to bottom. Yeah. Like that's the like bus. Um, and I think Kalis was after as well. I don't know. Where you resolve in th- order as think well. Before, before dominant species. Yeah. Yeah. Before dominant species. Yeah. But I think dominant species is one of the best implementations of it just because there, there is a lot wrapped up into every decision and mm-hmm. you kind of have to read the order of things um that everyone's playing especially when it comes to like higher player counts like Mm -hmm. five to six players yeah lots of planning ahead happening which can really hurt you if you don't correctly identify what other players want Mm -hmm. yeah and i enjoy just taking a step back from that game and just it's like you're seeding a script of what happens to this ecosystem and seeing the repercussions in real time it's equal part simulation for me as much as like area and control it's yeah i mean the only time i played it it was a four hour game with six people and i think we ran pretty late but it was like enjoyable isn't really the word i'm looking for it's it's worth playing obviously and it is fun to play it but by the time you're in the later stages of it no one's talking to one another <laughs> everyone's just like intensely looking at the board trying what to figure these out habitats? What it, yeah. where can i survive yeah, yeah. where's yeah. the ice gonna come because ultimately there is an uh it is an optimized move for you given the board state but not necessarily how the script is laid out right now and then someone takes an action before you yes that totally screws up your plan yeah part of the game is really knowing like knowing the game well enough to like read intention Mm -hmm. of like the other players and trying to play around that uh you can't counter every move but you can like if someone if you think you're gonna get forced out of a habitat you adapt and add that habitat to your your animal so yeah i'm hoping marine helps me get into the system a little bit more with an easier worker placement style i'm keeping both and Mm -hmm. i would love to play both more. So, yeah. Those are my number 47, Dominant Species and Dominant Species Marine. Uh, my number 47 is a game I played a lot before coming over to Canada. We had pretty much a weekly group uh, playing this game constantly. And it got to a point where group meta kind of grew out. But I think that's natural in these style of era control games and this is game of thrones second edition this was around the time that the tv series came out so this is a era control game where you take control of one of the houses plays best at six really plays just at six Mm -hmm. i think we've talked about it a lot 
in a previous podcast. I won't go into the exact details, but the main thing is having to seed tokens out. It's similar to dominant species. You're seeding tokens out, you flip them over and you see who has backstabbed you. Who has just messed up yeah, all of your plans. The best part of the game is the planning tokens. Yep. Is like, you know, is there something under there? Is there like, because <laughs> there are blank, there planning blank ones. Uh, there are fairly benign ones, but there are attack ones. Mm-hmm. So, um, And each house plays a bit differently in the second edition. So you have battle cards in the second edition, which are characters from your house. They all have different abilities. So there's a couple of houses who I think the Starks are one of them where it's just pure strength. It's like, I have the biggest hitter. Beware that he is in my hand. And so you're trying to keep track of when, you know, Ned Stark has been played. Versus the Lannisters are much sneakier. They're like, okay, I'm going to get into combat with you, but I'm going to steal something while I do it and purposely lose this, or I'm going to take my whole discard pile back into my hand and then trade it out for something else. The combat aspect of this area control game is great because it steps away from, not only does it step away from like dice rolling, but it also adds a level of strategy, knowing what character cards are in people's hands and who's weak because they've played six out of your seven character cards. And so they only have their weakest warrior left in their hands. Mm. So tons of moments, tons of backstabbing, tons of negotiations. But again, similar to area uh, dominant species, this is a long game that plays best at six. Yeah. It's one of those like experience games, like, mm. like Dune game of thrones like when i played it we've definitely set aside the whole day and i haven't played it in a while but every time i played it it's it's really good and as long as everybody's like understands what mm-hmm. what they're getting into i do kind of shudder at like because of that time period where game of thrones was big like how many copies of this game are like under a bed somewhere on, <laughs> on a shelf somewhere that people bought because they love the ip but yep. then realized very quickly after opening the rule book, that it's, they do not know how to play it's this. It's also a very difficult rule book. Exactly. I think the first four times we played the game, we didn't play it correctly. Like boats and ports especially. Yeah. It's very... Twice I've had to like kind of <laughs> go, like I've gone over to people's houses where they bought this and I've had to tell them like, this is going to be a long one and we're going to... Yeah, I'm going to handhold you through this game, but it's... And these are people that don't really play that many mm-hmm. games. Like, maybe they play party games or something, like Cards Against Humanity and stuff, but they bought the Game of Thrones game, and they're like, hey, you play board games. Can you can you teach me how to... <laughs> yeah. Teach us how to play this? I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to anyway. play this so bad. This is... Yeah, I have never played this, but after watching the TV series and getting into Game of Thrones, I would love to try it. Area control isn't really my thing, but... I liked Rokugan well enough, and yeah, I'd love yeah, to try this. Yeah, it's a more advanced Rokugan. That was number 47 on Jim's list, Game of Thrones 2nd Edition. Uh, my 47 is, at first blush, a fairly dry uh, Euro game. <laughs> <laughs> a classic from what 80s yeah. collection. <laughs> Do you, I'm just going to copy that in front of, in front of every <laughs> yeah, other yeah. game you've had so far. yeah. This is also in the series of Western European Man on the cover. Uh, this is Lorenzo Il Magnifico, a game from 2016. 
And with an expansion, I think in like 2018, I think Houses of the Renaissance came out. Yeah, this one is a worker placement game where your workers are informed or taking the values of a collectively rolled set of die. So there's a black, white, and orange die, and you have a corresponding worker, and everybody has that value that round. So you roll those dies and everybody has that shared value, which I love. I love that thing that everybody, there is the sort of input randomness, but everybody has to deal with it. What surprised me about this game, playing it more, is how tight it is. Like, I think there's a lot you do in this game. Like, there's different four different kind of portions of your tableau that you're building up by purchasing cards from the main board. But it makes your action stronger, and it makes little engines that you can run. Yeah, this one has stuck around my collection just because every time I play it, it there's something new I, I discover. And with expansion, there's a lot of variability in it. So... Yeah, this is a really tight worker placement game, which I've learned. I've been playing this a lot at two players with my wife. I think it works really well at two. I think it works fine at three and four as well. Some people prefer it at that count. Yeah, it's there's lots of different strategies you can go. You are both, you're all building the same sort of engines, but can only activate it on one space in a two-player game. Uh, And in a three-player game or four-player game, you can activate it, but it's much less powerful if you don't get the, the action space that activates your engine. And that's really cool. Like, do you take this time to build your engine more or do you take that one shot you have to activate it? Because you might not get that shot for another couple turns. And that balancing balancing that as well as really interesting kind of punishment rules where you can get punished and it's okay sometimes as long as you're willing to take that mm-hmm. that punishment because they're not just lose five points. It's you can no, no longer take this action, which is really, really cool. And I wish more games did it because... If you can play your whole game without taking this one single action, it's good to take get punished, which is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's similar to like Grand Austria Hotel from this same des- designers or some of the same designers mm-hmm. and that like there are punishments that you can plan for. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I don't have to hit that this round and get punished because I don't have that. Like yeah. I don't plan to do that. Yeah, it's really cool. That's one of the part of the games I really love. Yeah, I really enjoy this game as well. Not much more to say that uh, hasn't already been said. Just been thinking as AB was describing the game, my last few playthroughs, because I've played a lot of Lorenzo because it's online as well. Um, yeah, I really go yellow. Just, yeah, me just too. Out of, just out of the top of my head, I just like realized, you know what? I haven't gone yellow. Like, you rarely go yellow? I rarely go yellow. Oh, really? I went yellow the last two games I played. Yeah, I, I generally just go green. And I then, love green. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and then slide into blue and purple. I don't know. I I really like purple and blue. Yeah, like purple and like, blue. I always yeah. get into eventually, but to get yeah. my engine off green. I mean, green is the standard yeah. start. I think right. Yeah. The base for, production. For listeners, these are the four different types of tableau, like yeah. parts of your tableau that you can really build out, and each one is like a very different feeling game. Yeah. Like I think purple. Like there's certain aspects that like you get special abilities like mm-hmm. that gives you like special actions and um yellow is more like income and trading yeah trading higher resources income, yeah and trading resources and green uh, is base resource base production yeah. yeah one underrated thing is i really like the player boards in this game everything has its spot and there's no wasted area when you purchase for one-time use i think blue cards are one-time usage they just mm-hmm. stack on top of each other yeah. It's very nice. I have the Italian version of this game and it works great. Everything's in Italian. Mm-hmm. There's no, it's all symbology. So That's it doesn't the matter. It's the most thematic it version. It is the most yeah. thematic <laughs> version. Yeah. I love it. Okay. And that was my number 47, Lorenzo Il Magnifico.
my number 46 is actually very similar to Lost Runes of Arnak, my number 49, and that is Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Wayfarers of the Tigris is the newest game by Shem Phillips at this point. This game is a dice allocation game where you roll some dice and then put them on your player board, and as you put cards into your tableau, more dice spots become available for you to place your dice into. There's also some other uh, worker placement aspects to it, but in general, you're building a larger player board and taking more actions to make a larger player board. Uh, it feels really rewarding to make a huge vista of, of things. You have stars above or you have islands below or you know universities or mountains. Um, it looks beautiful and going in different directions rewards different things, but planning ahead is the largest key to winning this game. And like Lost Runes of Arnak, I really like that, and I feel like this game does it well. Yeah, largely I found that this was his cleanest design. Nothing felt tacked on. Everything had its purpose. You're rolling your eyes. Is it the worker placement yeah, part of it? Yeah, the worker placement feels tacked. Yeah, the worker placement I barely used, but it was my get-out-of-free-jail card if I ever didn't have something I needed. Just place a worker and get it. Yeah, I really like that in games. Arnak has it with the, like, place your idol up onto your player board. Yeah. So and, I, I equate it to that. Yeah, you know, and it's which like I love. if I pl- plan super poorly mm-hmm. and I literally cannot take a move, well, I have a worker to just throw at something yes. and get what I need to at least undo how badly this has gone. Because there was a point in our game where I was like, oh no, I'm here now in my journaling and to get to the next space, I need this, which I haven't really planned for because I generally don't plan in games. I'm very tactical. But again, similar to Lorenzo Il Magnifico, player board's super clean build outwards very mm-hmm. satisfying to build up that's not an understatement it is so nice to build these player tableaus yeah. right uh, and you feel like you're discovering new lands you're going across the seas or riding camels across the desert to find new mountains and observatories it's really good and i was surprised how much i liked it <laughs> yeah cards that are beside each other that connect in the art is something that i love yeah i'm definitely looking forward to trying this i haven't tried it yet i do really like dice placement mechanisms in my games and yeah i think i've been intrigued about this the only reservation like why i didn't get earlier is that generally shem phillips is a miss for me like i think raiders and palette raiders and viscounts were my favorite of his but in every other case i've gotten and sold (laughs) uh, every every other game from him so yeah i think the dice placement is the weakest part i I think jim disagrees which is good so maybe you will like it okay but for me... It's the tableau building? The tableau building is interesting. Choosing a route and then figuring out how to make it down that route is what right. makes me enjoy the game. That just means there's something for everyone mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah. That's my 46 game, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. My number 46 game is another experience. It is also my top pirate game. It is... Well, it's Forgotten Waters. I love narrative games. I love games that tell a story. I will even play games and force those games to tell a story. Things like The Pursuit of Happiness is what me and another person in in our board game group have played, and we just, like, not... We don't necessarily take the top action. We just like to build a human and uh, make a story out of that human. And Forgotten Waters and its ilk, Freelancers, has come out, and it's a game I really want to play. Takes this and sends it to the moon. It is... Probably the ultimate storytelling game that I have ever played. It is both thematic and funny and doesn't take 
itself too serious. I think that's a major mistake that a lot of games try to do is to put this super serious theme on and then drive it home with, you know, tropes regarding that theme. Forgotten Waters is not apologetic at how campy it can get. And at the end of each session, you feel like you've achieved something. Maybe you didn't, like, get to the end goal of what your character did. But again, in most stories, it's about the journey. I had a lot of great memories playing this game and creating weird little characters. Yeah, this is one that I really enjoyed. And usually I'm not like a storytelling game person, but I did play through every scenario. Yeah, it's just like very well voice acted. And it's not a theme that particularly I gravitate towards, but yeah. Too close to Vikings? No, I don't know. Like fantasy world, pirate. I don't know. It's maybe not, not usually my cup of tea, but this one, yeah, I think hit the spot for like uh, the level of gameplay for that was required for a storytelling game. Right. Like it was just just the right amount of like you doing something to influence the event. Yeah, this might have been a bit too storytelling for me, but I can see it. I can see it being a perfect game if that's what you're looking for. I think I might pick this up, you know, well, who knows in a couple of years if I'm playing with a family situation more and want Mm -hmm. a storytelling game. This is definitely top of my list. One thing I'll highlight as part of that storytelling experience is you don't need to be good at storytelling there's this whole mad lib mechanic is it a mechanic it's just in there it's a sub game where you just drop some funny words some nouns some verbs some adjectives and the game will create a character for you so Mm -hmm. good for novice storytellers don't don't be afraid that it's a narrative game and you have to come up with something on the spot the game holds your hand through all of that process it's not role-playing is what you're saying yeah if you don't want it to be and that was my number 46, Forgotten Waters. Um, my number 46 bucks the trend of my current games where there is no Western European man on the cover. But it is a Euro game. It is uh, a heavy Euro game called Madeira. This is a dice placement game, and it is one of the heavier games, like deceptively heavy. Like when you... When you set it up, it doesn't look very different from like a standard um, Euro game. But this one, when you place any action, when you take any action, you place a dice, you're actually kind of thinking about two to three different things and maybe two or three turns ahead of what you might want to be doing. Because you, you're placing a, a die there for the action at that point, but they're also going to be repercussions for you putting that dice there. So I think this one is always one that leaves me, yeah, thinking about it. And I'm always uh, replaying the the game in my head. I am, you know, I think three years into the wait for <laughs> the new edition of this one. So uh, maybe one day they will deliver this Kickstarter, but not, not soon. <laughs> Is this the game that Jim can't win online? Correct. I was about to say that. This yeah. is the game that I I just don't think the way I play games is suited for this game. It is... We were talking about like punishment in Notre Dame and punishment in Madeira is very real and hurts a lot as well. If, yes. you, if you don't have the resources to not only pay for upkeep but to afford to build the ships you need to score a massive amount of points. Like if you 
fail in planning in this game, you lose 15 points. Yeah. And everyone is 15 points ahead of you because they did plan or took the action that you needed. Um, it is still a good, it's a very good game. I will continue playing it online or in person to try to get that elusive win. But if you're a tactical player like me, you're not going to have a successful time. Yeah, I can't reiterate enough how how much of this game relies on planning ahead and also planning on how you could get blocked, yeah. how you could fail in, in doing your plan and planning a, a route, you know, a B and a C plan just in case. I would not uh, recommend playing this online if you're trying to learn it. Probably people are very good. good. Yeah, people are very good. And it's not easily passable online of exactly where you should be planning out your turn. So, because um, everything needs to be planned for, not just like your next actions with your dice, but when you pass in a round and where you place your uh, marker on the pass table to determine when you draft your next goal tiles, because you don't want to be stuck drafting. Uh, something you can't do yeah. yeah sometimes you just want to pass just to like get a better like a goal yeah it is first crack at the goals but yeah it is like management at work it is several different things and need to be high priority on your list but if you don't have a mental capacity to handle that you will get punished it's it kind of reminds of what you said about arnak is that like you do have a lot of information at the outside of the round and you have to plan to see what you want to accomplish that particular round yeah i wonder if i would really like this but uh probably not 50 50 <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see it depends yeah i'll wait until you get the kickstarter and then yeah. we'll find out and that was my number number 46 madeira my number 45 is a game that we played a long time ago and it i in some ways it doesn't make sense why it's on my list the theme is <laughs> pretty much non-existent <laughs> um but the mechanics are so f interesting and fun that it uh it made it so that game is heaven and ale uh how would you describe this game jim heaven and ale is a rondel game where you are moving around the board every round to select different tiles to place on your player board and every time you place a tile you make a choice to place it either on the light side or the dark side one generates that resource for you which you use to brew what are we brewing whiskey beer, beer. uh ale the, ale ah heaven and ale right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the other side will generate money yeah the, the combination of kind of the it's not push your luck but you're moving around around the rondelle and you think okay how much time do i have can I realistically stop here and at the next spot? Or do I just need to immediately go to that second spot and forego the resources that would have been on both spots? Mm -hmm. That coupled with the choice of whether to build money or to build resources, basically points, um, is also really interesting. And then the mix of you have these kind of end of game scoring cards that you can spend for money. Uh, and deciding when and which ones of those to use is also very important because the game is incredibly tight. And if you don't kind of, it's very easy to go bankrupt mm -hmm. and not have enough resources to, to complete your plan. Yeah, this is a game that asks the question, how bad do you want it? Mm -hmm. Because if you really want it, you're going to give up like these 10 tokens, which is really going to enable that player to really skyrocket on their ale creation abilities um 
And I just love a rondel. Yeah, this is the best implementation of that yeah. rondel mechanic for me, where you can go as far as you want, uh, but you can't go back. And I think the other ones like Glenmore, like Glenmore was good, but I didn't really like connect with the theme at all and didn't feel as engaging as the the one here where there is a second part of that where it's the sort of like puzzle on your player board dictating what you want from from the main kind of rondel draft yeah francis drake does this as well yeah um yeah it's interesting and it does another cool thing is when you're brewing the beer it takes five different resources to brew beer and you need all those resources to be uh going up the track at the same rate mm -hmm. so if you have uh, you know the most hops in the game that's great but you also need uh, th that many barrels and you need you know that much wheat as well yeah uh, barley whatnot mm -hmm. almost kinesia-esque in its scoring because it's the lowest tier resource that's going to hold back your ability to score in this yeah game. you need them all balanced yeah balanced is ideal for sure but yeah it, it's a mechanically really interesting game uh that's heaven and nail my number 45 game is going to take a page out of ab's list because Actually, I can't remember if there's a Western European man on the cover, but it is a Euro game, and that game is The Voyages of Marco Polo, first edition. There is a Western European man on the <laughs> yeah, cover. Yeah, I kind of yeah. would have Marco guessed. Marco Polo. Yeah. Marco Polo himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It feels like two people. Oh, there well, maybe is three. two people. Yeah. But that counts. Yeah, okay. that counts. There's okay. at least one. I should yeah. follow your geek list. Yeah. Um, this is a game about traveling around a map, picking up resources, uh, satisfying contracts, but ultimately what this game is really, really about is dice worker placement, which I love. So at the beginning of every round, you roll dice. And unfortunately in this first version, I think the higher the dice roll, the better in general. Yeah, there's just not much compensation. There is compensation <laughs> for rolling low but it just doesn't feel like as great as having high value of dice yeah and once again it's a very tight european game um i know i've played it a few times where i've just haven't been able to move my meeple because i planned poorly and don't have the resources money or camels to move to the next location i really need to get to mm -hmm. there are an assortment of ways to score points whether you want to like focus on contracts or create some kind of point generation scheme with a couple of key cities on the map that turn resources into points it's just a lot of avenues to go down and i think one of them i've seen that's pretty interesting is when someone barely moves their meeple mm -hmm. and still figures out a way to score high so i i just get excited about that because it seems to be like a large emerging theme in both of it and all of our lists is like interesting lines of play during a game and marco polo especially with its asymmetry because like you, vast like the asymmetry is in this game is I don't know, it's putting it lightly to say asymmetric. You're playing it wildly differently mm -hmm. than another player. You're engaging with some of the core, same core mechanisms, but it's all of them are very game-breaking. Yeah, it's an asymmetry, too, that is kind of different than a lot of games are doing these days. Like, it's not like your mechanics are different. You, you don't have a totally different player board, mm -hmm. or you're not looking at different goals. It's just one line of text usually not mm -hmm. always but usually it's just one line of text that breaks one of the rules of the game for you yeah one of the core rules that everybody has to abide by mm -hmm. and it's not like an asymmetric 
you know, resource start or anything like that. It's just, you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's so cool. It's the best part of the game for sure. And it, it makes every play so interesting because the rule that, that gets broken is so fundamental. Mm-hmm. I, I love Marco Polo. Yeah. Great I, I really love the game. It hasn't stayed in my collection just because it's like so difficult to teach, you it know, is, like yeah. first couple plays, like someone's going to have difficulty playing, kind of playing out their whole game right at the start like there's so many decisions right at the beginning of the game that like the draft of the character the the where your goal cards will point you that really dictate what you got to try to aim for and it's very hard for a new player to to understand that yeah i do love playing this with new players though because i feel like i can play so fast and loose like right. we're, we're all in the play, same playing field of just like we're all making random choices kind of we, th- we think we know what's good or the other players think they know what's good and we can all just kind of like make choices and mm-hmm. we don't have to plan anything out crazily uh and someone wins and you know that's just how it is but yeah once you start getting deep into the mechanics of this game planning stuff early is is mm-hmm. key and that was my number 45 game the voyages of marco polo first edition my number 45 is two games occupy this spot which is sky mines and Mombasa. so same game uh, different retheme that was recently, I wouldn't say like 2021, like Sky Mines was, was released. And yeah, this one is just kind of endlessly uh, interesting to me is that like, it feels very unique um, in terms of the gameplay. Uh, you're kind of playing cards into three to five stacks on your under your player board and the actions kind of split up into into subsequent stacks later in the game so you discard them into separate discard piles and each time you can only pull one discard pile back so it really this is a game and maybe you can sense a theme in my in my list where i really appreciate games where it's about planning ahead and and having a coherent um, strategy and this one yeah, kind of takes all those boxes in terms of like the amount of player interaction where you're competing for certain resources. You're also in cross investing into four different companies. Yeah, I really like it. The only thing that has kind of dropped it in, my, in, in terms of my list is that I do not really love the new art. And I kind of wish I had the more classic Euro uh, kind of feel of the original artwork. They yeah. missed out on Moonbase A. As a, yes, as, as the as, possible title, yes. Yeah, neither themes are great, unfortunately. Neither themes are great. Um, the game's amazing. The The thing you're talking about, about the bins and discarding cards into them, every time I play the game, I'm like, uh, this is a crazy mechanic that should be used somewhere else. It's kind of like, you know when we played uh, Civilization and New Dawn, mm-hmm. and there was the card row that eventually mm-hmm. got used in uh, Ark, Ark Nova? Nova. Yeah. yeah, I feel exactly the similarly about this mechanism. Like, mm-hmm. when someone takes that mechanism and puts it in a different game, I will buy your game. I will play it, and maybe it's not going to be good, but just that alone is enough to get me to play another game. Yeah, if boardgametables.com is listening, <laughs> put that in another game, and Robin will buy it 100%. and sponsor us. It's such an interesting mechanism. I 100% agree with Robin's statement here. The more I play Mombasa, the less I like everything else about Mombasa. Yeah. And all I want to do is... Uh, see this uh, card action planning mechanism and something that actually ties into a really good board game experience. I think there's a couple of actions that are just tacked on. 
I think like the various amount of stock option esque tracks mm-hmm. is fun. It's great. The error control board aspect, I get it. It's there. And then you have like the diamond track, which is Professor meh. Diamond. <laughs> but yeah, just move up a track. However, Take the action, move up a track. However, the book track is so integrated into that, the yes. way those discard piles work, in that you have to plan for those resources yeah. on that particular round. I really like the book track. Yeah. The diamond track just pisses me off because right. it's so underbait compared to every other aspect of this game. And even the area control, I don't love. You know, uh, not that I, I love area control, just the way it's done is just okay, I get it, it's fine. It's, it's probably the most boring aspect of, sorry, boring implementation it's of area It's not really control. area control at the end of the day. No. It's, it's, it's really it's like area, stock gain bonuses yeah. and increased stock value of those companies. Yeah, which right? I think is why it annoys me. It's just... That's fine. Take the book, take the card management, put it in another game that's not Blackout Hong Kong, and <laughs> tell us about it. We'll play it. Oh, yeah, he did do that. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay, yeah. So the, one day, maybe okay. this will end up in a great mechanism. Unfortunately, neither themes are great. It's still in my top 50 because of that core gameplay is so interesting. It's so good. Yeah. It's in my collection. So yeah. It's great. It's in all of our collection. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And that was my number 45, Sky Mines and Mombasa. My 44th game probably would end up on your light games lists and probably shouldn't be on this heavy games list, but the way that I like to play it or you know, (laughs) (laughs) but the way that I really, really enjoy it is with people that love board games and that are going to take this game very seriously and kind of to the next level. And that game is Decrypto. Mm. Decrypto, you can play with a family setting and it can be nice and breezy and fun But really, I love it when the clues are insane and everyone is really trying their best to make it as hard as possible for the other team to figure out the clue. Um, Decrypto is very similar to Codenames. It's a game where one person is giving a clue and the rest of their team is trying to figure out the answer to that clue by linking it to a word that they already have. Uh, At the same time, though, the opposing team is also trying to do those links. They have a little bit less information, so it's harder for them. But the more clues you give over time, the easier it is for both teams to make those links, uh, especially the the opposing team. Um, So the the goal is to, to tell your opponent the word you want but to use as little information as possible. You, you want to give very obtuse clues, which is something that I absolutely love, opposed to giving some very precise clues. Yeah. And this is in the same vein as games like Crosstalk, yep. Trap Word. You want to kind of get around the other players' heads a little bit. Yes. This one feels like, I mean, it's not heavy, but it feels the most... Uh, it's agonizing. Yes. Which is why it is pretty high on my light games nice. uh, list because of that. When you see it click in a group and they kind of understand what they're trying to do, it's really good because everybody's like... So you could see the gut-wrenching <laughs> uh, decisions that they have to make. Yeah, if your group likes code names and you want to bump it up a level, I highly recommend trying this. Some of the players at the table are going to feel like they don't like it because it is very different. But in some ways, it is just the next step to the craziness that is kind of like a word association game. Well, it's nice because everybody is kind of involved at all times. Exactly. In this one. That's my 44th game, Decrypto. 
Uh, my number 44 on my list of top 50 medium plus games is one we talked about in our last podcast. It's Alchemists. It is a deduction game that is quite heavy and thematic and has very great moments of I need to figure out what this ingredient is because people are pretty close to deducing what it is. I guess I just drink the potion myself and oh no, I'm unconscious. It's risk reward. It is storytelling. It is just fun at a at a weirdly heavy level. Uh, I it is hard to teach. Although worker placement games generally aren't too hard, but like how everything wraps together and what you're trying to do, because usually in a game it's very obvious you deduce things and you score points but in this game you can score just as much points not deducing things and lying about things and being like yeah this i am publishing a journal that makes this ingredient have these properties which may or may not be true uh and you can lie about you can have like zero points under that ribbon when you're making that prediction about no i i actually didn't think it. i just wanted to get on this board first and start selling things so there's a lot going on to it and there's a lot of different ways to play alchemists and it's just super fun i should try this at one point i had a long time aversion to games with an app it's Mm. it's so lightly used and so i should try it i should get over it a bit i like storytelling games with with app and stuff but yeah i think you kind of need it yeah for any kind of deduction game so this is a cge game do you know what that stands for, Robin? Check Games Edition. Yeah. And similarly, Deal with the Devil is a Check Games Edition game. And I can gladly say all of their games are very hit or miss with me. But when they hit, they hit hard. And it's very fun. Like, they, they I love CG because they don't take designs too seriously. It's never a Western European man selling spices on a cover. And that's my number 44 game, Alchemists. My number 44 game is a game called London. And this is by a game by Martin Wallace. Um, and it is one that, yeah, I've, I've kept in my collection because it's a very pure representation of a card engine builder for me. I love the kind of push and pull of building your engine wide and having to run having to deal with the consequences, which is like a lot of waste and pollution from your borough. Um, you're building like a card tableau that you, that is your, your kind of borough and then deciding when you want to run it. Um, so the, there's a lot of clever, like card, uh, mechanisms to this and that you're, you're paying to, to put cards out. And when you run them, they, um, flip. So, but you have to keep, running that amount of cards you have to or growing your your tableau right so you can either run pretty lean like two or three cards or you can go pretty wide like six or six or seven but that's getting a little bit dicey um you're it takes you longer to put cards out and run but you have more powerful uh engine runs yeah it's one that i think the second edition of this game streamlines a couple things um and yeah it always plays pretty quickly and the, yeah the only thing that gets new players is the game end can approach pretty quickly um and can feel pretty abrupt if you suddenly have to like 
run and you get a lot of negative points or something. You're trying to manage against the, the punishment of the game, which are these kind of pollution tokens that punishes player with the most of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've only played this once. I think this could be something I would really enjoy. I generally really enjoy these styles of games. Uh, we should play it more. Yeah, I love card games, and this is like such a heavier version of a card game. Yeah, I've only played the second edition. It's very pretty. I do like the mechanic of, what is it? The dis- there's a discard row, but it covers gets covered up. There's like yeah. two rows, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to get it, otherwise it disappears. And that was my number 44 game, London. My number 43 game is our first crossover. My number 43 game is Millennium Blades. Yeah, I... Wow. Oh, a double crossover. I thought you were talking about like a triple crossover. Oh, no, no. Just me and Jim. Okay, okay. Just me and Jim. Millennium Blades, we've talked about already. It has its problems. Like Jim said, the actual battling uh, is not that great. The amount of theme in this game is unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, trading cards with other players feels amazing. Building your deck feels really cool. The fact that every card back is a pack of like you know magic or Pokemon cards, and then the other side of the card, the card front, is the card from the pack. And they explain it by saying, well, have you never opened a pack of Pokemon cor- cards before? You just remove every card except for the <laughs> rare, and that's all you're going to keep anyway. So. Mm-hmm. You only need one card from the pack. And just little things like that make it so unique, so fun. Um, When you first set up the game, you choose which different sets you're playing with. So you pick like five of 12 decks, or if you have expansions, even more. And then Mm -hmm. you put those in the game and it makes it variable. It's a really cool, unique experience. This is a convention game for me, for sure. I've loved it for a long time. And although I don't play it as much anymore as there's other games that have kind of filled the same niche for me it's one that i love and will probably always stay in my collection uh yeah that's my 43rd game millennium blades and we're training that's right we've got another overlap my number 43rd game i'm tagging up with robin on this one it is the lost ruins of arnak i'm actually higher yeah i'm very surprised that i have it higher than robin because um just over the years since it's been out i think robin talks much highly about this game uh but again as I mentioned it, and you might have a similar experience as me when you start playing this game, it was sold to me more as like a deck builder with a board. And the deck builder is very small. Right. <laughs> as far yeah, as maybe that's also my reaction. <laughs> it's is not that, a like, deck building yeah, game you, at all. And you literally cycle through your deck maybe like two to three times. Yeah, exactly. If you're playing yeah. well, you will only cycle your deck two to three times. Every other aspect of this game is great. And like, oh, well, deck builder is great. Just like how it interacts with the other portions of a game is much better. Yeah, and the more I play this game, the more routes I see through it. Which is weird because it's kind of just worker placement deck builder or this weird track you're going up to end the game. The amount of possibilities within that and how it can kind of lead to interesting integrations with certain cards in the game make it really, really fun. And you discover something every time you play it. It's weird. I'm still discovering things. Yeah. And I haven't even started on the expansion yet. So if you asked me a year ago, it's probably like 90th on my list, but I've played several games since, both online and, and in person. It just grows in okay. quality yeah, for me. I mean, I'd be down to like revisit it just because, yeah, I think I did expect it to be more of a deck builder. Like I, I, I think it was around the time of these three games all came around the same time and were heralded as like, uh, board like a board game with a deck building element. So there was 
uh, Dune Imperium, there was Lost Ruins of Arnak, and there was Endless Winter. And what I discovered in playing all of them was that there were not really deck builders. <laughs> nope. um, you don't cycle through them a lot. So yeah, I think going back into it and being more realistic about what to know, expect from the game, it might be a bit better. Because I think I was like prioritizing cards and like trying to get them into my deck and not really thinking long term about what we was trying to do. That's actually hilarious because that's like the way I played it. First time I played it, prioritized cards. Second time I played it, I was like, okay, it's not really a deck builder. It's a worker placement game. Prioritize my worker placements. Not really a worker placement game. Nope. <laughs> so, Action management? Yeah. It's a resource management Resource game. management. It's, you look at the track and you try to find your most efficient way up that track. Right. That's right. the whole game. Uh, and the problem, the reason it slipped off my list a little bit is because people I've introduced it have really bounced off that. Mm -hmm. um and sometimes that influences your thoughts on a game you know right mm -hmm. showing people being like this is an adventure game or i mean i didn't say that but that's what they think it's going to be and then it's like no 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 you need to count how many rubies you have for like four turns from now so that you can get <laughs> past this one random thing on this track that you're not really looking at but you really should be right uh and so in that way it's hard but yeah it's okay. a game that I, I still enjoy that's number 43 lost ruins of arnak my number 43 is maybe one of the more recent additions to my overall top 50. And it surprised me a little bit, but I really enjoy this game. It is Mini Golf Designer. Yeah, this one is a game where it combines a lot of things I like. I love tiling games. I love drafting games. And this is one of the best I've played. I think the drafting is kind of the King Domino-esque mechanism where you can draft a tile uh, that's valued lower and you would go first in the draft the next time, or you can draft a higher value tile and you go lower, lower in the draft order later. However, it is much heavier in terms of the tile placement than King Domino. It is, you're building a mini golf course and there's a lot of goals that you're trying to hit and compete with other players with. So there's a lot of, you know, subtle player interaction. You're trying to race for these different goals and throughout the game, you'll be committing to those goals like secretly, which ones you want to compete with. If you do poorly, they would be negative points. But if you're uh, first in those categories, you get, you score bonus points. Or you just ignore them. Or you just ignore them. Yeah. Yeah. This does what we're hoping someone does with the Mombasa mechanism. They took King Domino's draft, which isn't like a novel thing when King Domino brought it out anyway, but they took it and made like a heavier game with it. That's mm -hmm. really interesting and fun to play. And like you're building a little mini golf course. Like who doesn't, who doesn't like it? Yeah. I'm so surprised I haven't played this. I really should. I love King Domino so much. I love mini golf so much. This would probably be one of my favorite games. And that's uh, number 43, Mini Golf Designer. My 42nd game is a game that is very divisive. Some people love it, some people hate it, and that's mostly because it's a real-time game. Do I love it or hate it? You... I <laughs> uh, hate it? Okay, cool. I don't remember exactly. My number 42 game is Magic Maze. I hate it. Yeah, I figured you did. <laughs> <laughs> Magic Maze is kind of more of an experience than a game... It, you uh everyone needs to be silent and you all have a action allocated to you and the actions could be like move upon north move upon south and everyone around the table is working together to move these pawns to certain locations you can reveal more boards and walk around a mall i don't really want to talk about the theme too much 
But uh, it's a cooperative and real-time, non-talking board game. I love this game. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's uh, so good. But it is it is on my light list. Yeah. But it is my favorite way to teach it is I walk everyone through what we're trying to do, yes. and we all do it with the actions that yes. we're doing yes. that we have in front of us. And then at the end of it, it was like, great. Now we <laughs> the core of this game is that we cannot talk. Yeah. And there's this timer running. Yeah. And we have to go and flip that timer before it runs out. If you want to be really passive aggressive, there's this guy right here. Yeah, yeah. And you can hold you can hold this giant marker. And I have been tempted to get the newer printings of the game. I got the just, newer. <laughs> just because the marker is larger. Yeah. So I might just do that. That's but very funny. It's a it's a great real-time game, but keep in mind, people that don't love high stress situations. And real-time games may not enjoy this. Yeah, definitely not. It's an experience that you should try. You're going to know right away if you love it or hate it. Yeah. That's Magic Maze. I love that. During any point in the game, you feel like you're letting the team down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you're staring at someone who you think who is, is letting the team down. And then you realize it's actually <laughs> yourself. It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, a very fun real-time game. That's Magic Maze. Number 42 on my list is a Martin Wallace game and people might be shocked it's not higher but I have split it out into two different games and the first one that has made its appearance at number 42 is Brass Lancashire. I don't want to go into too much detail about this game because I'm sure we'll all talk about it later on in our list. I'll talk about it. Oh my god really? I've only played once. (laughs) It is I don't even know how you describe this game because it is card yeah hand management it's an economy game yeah. it's uh competitive with slight cooperative um, route building it's a infrastructure building game it is a lot of things but also not a lot of things and it is so interactive for a euro game of this weight and this yeah and lancashire is the like most interactive version mm-hmm. of this one so this is the game that Martin Wallace published earlier, you know, with a traditional beige very beige board. And it's tight. And it is... And I've played, like, probably 100 uh, games of this on the app. It is so good. Just um, So you're basically building routes throughout England, South England, I mm-hmm. guess, um, where you are... Using coal and iron to try to build uh, paths out and infrastructure out to build other goods, to deliver them to certain ports, to earn points. And each of your infrastructure is worth points at the end of the game. But when you build something that generates iron for you, someone else will steal that iron or someone else will use that coal. And at certain point, all of your infrastructure disappears from the game because, you know, no one wants to use canals anymore and they mm-hmm. want to use train tracks. And a whole second phase of this game, it's crazy that, like, everyone takes this game super seriously and it is a super serious game. But just the whole concept of how he came up with a super... Everything is so interconnected yeah. and dependent on each other. It's, like, insane that it works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about the most money. No. Like, and it's like, really, how do you navigate all other players and get the most points? And and also, you're limited by your hand. So it's really, it's one of my favorite parts of games when you have to like read your hand, mm-hmm. what you're starting with, and what you can do. So it's it's a 
it's such a tight management between how much money you have and, and trying to turn that into points. I think this is close to the top of my list of most well-designed games. There is nothing about this game that feels tacked on. There's nothing about this game that doesn't make sense. It is purely one of the best designed games I've ever seen or played before. Um, is it fun? Not all the time. When someone steals your coal constantly or uses iron. Uh, uh, You've put that coal out into the market. Yeah, Jim. but I was really... Anyone can use that coal, Jim. Yeah, now I can't build my railroads out yeah. from Manchester and I'm stuck. So help. I have only played this once. I think this might... Both might, the versions I've once? never played the other version. You've what? never played the other version. Should we Ridgecon that? Yeah, I was just okay. thinking this might be the highest want-to-play game okay. of any game currently. I would do. So, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll make my list next year. I hope it does. That was my number 42 game, Brass Lancashire by Martin Wallace. My number 42 is the first by this designer, uh, and they're... A bunch of his games on this list. And this one is by Vital Lacerda, and it is Kanban. EV? And, uh, yeah, either version, EV. Driver uh, edition? Yeah, driver's edition or EV. I do think EV has improved it a lot for me and has subsequently made my list. It was definitely probably outside my top 50 in its original incarnation. Uh, just because like, there were a few rules tweaks they made that made a lot more sense and made you engage with... Like, there was this one thing I didn't really like in the original edition where you could really score these goals as many times as you want. And really limiting that makes it so that everybody has to kind of watch and engage in multiple parts of the game. You can't just kind of plan and put all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. And I I really enjoy this game because it's such a simple core uh, mechanism. You place all your workers in a row, like in an action row. You only have one worker. And so each round, you're just executing along this thing. So it's kind of like Dominant Species, but a very limited um, choice. And a lot of his games echo that. It's like you have a very simple turn. You go to these one of few spots or a few types of actions, and there's a whole snowball effect uh, of things that's related to. Yeah, this one's very thematic. You're working in a little car factory and trying to uh, be the most efficient at making and researching and building cars. Yeah, a little history there. Kanban is a w work process that's used in modern day software engineering now and electrical engineering, which is my field. But it originated from Toyota, which is why the theme is automotives. Mm -hmm. um, so they pioneered a way to mass produce their vehicles using the Kanban method. I love that it's integrated in a wonderful board game. It's it's weird because I hate punishment in other games, but the fact that this punishment is Sharon, who is just <laughs> Susan? Sandra. Sandra. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Sandra's just following you around and judging everyone, judging everyone in this department. So she just turns up one day to evaluate, I don't know. How's everyone doing? Bad. <laughs> Poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Do not play with Nice Sandra. Ah, yes. Play yeah, with yeah. mean Sandra because it's the best way to play this game. Mm -hmm. And that sort of wanting to keep up with her <laughs> evaluations yeah. is one of the forces that kind of keeps pushing you in this game. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, it's named after his wife, <laughs> Sandra. Oh, anyway, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's great in terms of planning ahead is that you can see exactly what everybody's kind of trying to do. And... Yeah, a lot of the game is is really looking at possible combos or like how to get to those evaluation meetings. That that's where you score. 
is like how well you met, like those mm -hmm. kind of planned planned expectations. And that was a uh, Kanban by Vital Asserta. My last game for this top ten is number forty one, and that's I think the best trading game I have ever played, and that's Bonanza. Bonanza might end up on the later list for you guys. Definitely mm -hmm. will. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that he adds a layer to it. Yeah. No, in this case, I don't know. This is just feels like such a, a, a full game to me. Um, the idea that your cards in your hand can't move once they're set is really, really unique. And I've seen it done in things like Luxor or the Scout. But anytime a game does that, I'm always really intrigued. And in this game, it works so perfectly because every turn you must play the card on the right-hand side of your hand, and you can play two cards if you want. And every turn you can also trade with another player. And sometimes those trades aren't even that you want a card. It's that you just need to get rid of the right card in your hand mm -hmm. because you have no more fields to plant. Yeah, and you have to uproot your beans if you have to plant the one on your right. So you desperately, you can tell when someone is desperate to get rid of one. <laughs> But the best uh, yeah. is when you can't tell. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. they're playing it as if it's a good thing for you. But yeah. in reality, it's a really good thing for them. Yes. And slowly, as you start declining their trade, you're, you're slowly like, ah, actually, I don't want to trade with you. And then they get more and more desperate. And you suddenly realize that, <laughs> like, actually, they really, really need this to go through. And so then you start negotiating. <laughs> oh, maybe you're just going to give me that card, actually. We're not even going to trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll just yeah. take it off your hands. Uh, and those are the best parts of this game, for sure. Yeah, this is probably my top trading game as well mm -hmm. like I, I think this is great because it's pretty easy to teach uh the hardest part is really like don't move the cards yeah uh but i think it's pretty easy to teach and i think the the valuation of it very quickly clicks with everybody yeah, yeah. like how you value different beans like it, the the artwork could use a little bit of an update for 2023 but there is a little bit of charm about this like 90s <laughs> 90s era <laughs> Uh, bean artwork there's a new version which is like flowers so you're trading in dahlias yeah i don't think anyone expected this but it's a back-to-back -back martin wallace fest over here in jim's corner oh. that's right my number 41 is another martin wallace game it is a study in emerald first edition mm. again another game we talked about in previous podcasts it's I, I think Robin might be surprised that this and Millennium Blades are so low. And that's just mainly because I would class both Millennium Blades and A Study in, in Emerald First Edition as convention games. Similarly to like Game of Thrones, it's something I need to prep people in advance that we're going to be playing this. So ex so be in the mood for. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be long-ish. Yeah. And you have to be prepared. Not so much the length of time for the study in Emerald, which is a deck building game. It's also hidden. It's social deduction esque. Basically, there is the cultists versus the, I want to say, investigators. Really, it's Sherlock Holmes's crew. This game, and only this game, so not the second edition, is crazy. It's as Brass Lancashire was a perfect design that melded everything together really well a study in emerald first edition i feel is its antithesis it is hey deck building social deduction and also random things could just pop up in this game that might not make sense and will change half the rules but you'll adapt you'll have fun with it so good luck and that's why it's probably needlessly heavy it is 
It's a pretty simple deck building game. Pretty simple what you're trying to achieve and how the end games are triggered and how to score points and everything like that. But then halfway through the game, zombies. Yeah. Vampires. Vampires. Werewolves. Yeah. Oh, your agents are secretly my agents. So good luck. Yeah. It's one of those where you explain it. Seems pretty simple. You move here, do some actions. Like you have this deck that you're you're gaining cards for and getting better actions. And then you have to explain all the different crazy things that can happen. Yeah, it's like, oh, this card came out. We need to pause the game so I can go on a 15-minute explanation of what this means for us. And all the ramifications. <laughs> yeah. So not only is this a, like a convention game, it's one where I would like... You almost have to be in a euphoric state of mind to play this game. You can't be in a mind where you're like in brass, where you're thinking specifically every move and how that will deal with victory conditions. You're really just entering this game expecting a unique, fun experience. You know, it's more social deduction almost than an actual board game, which is why I I love this game to bits. I paid 70 euro for my copy of this game because it's out of print and i it's just so much better than the second edition in my opinion that mm-hmm. it was worth it and i i'm glad that it's in my collection now and i'll never sell it or give it away or whatever it means that much and that was number 41 a study in emerald first edition not second edition my number 41 is an auction game and it is so wildly different of an auction game uh, that it is, yeah, a fairly unique game in my collection. It is QE, and this is a game, stands for Quantitative Easing. Uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but you're Board playing, games with a twist. Yeah, board games with a twist. Go look it up, guys, if you haven't listened to it. Yeah, so this one, the twist is you can bid anything you want. A million so, ruples. Yeah, and I've had games where we've been fairly conservative. We've been, you know, you know, 10, 20. And then I've had games where we're in the millions, you know, where you're bidding in the millions. Um, this one is, yeah, always fun to kind of introduce because then it's always interesting what happens depending on the players. And the fact that only the the information about how much people are bid is only revealed to certain people at the table there's a lot of management of that sort of like information that's happening and subsequently like how people value all the different things that you're bidding on, like these industries that you're bidding on. Yeah. It's, it's such a tough game to kind of explain what is so magical about it, but I think it ends up clicking with more people than I think it will be. It's definitely one of the most unique games of all time. I think the first couple of times you play this, it, it is really magical and I do kind of wish this was in my collection just because every I love showing it to people and I love people seeing it for the first time. And just the, the whole idea is crazy and the fact that it works is insane. So yeah, maybe not like a game I want to be playing every week or maybe not even like every month or every year, but it, it's so unique and so interesting that I totally understand it being on your list. It's on my light list. Mm. Yeah, this was in between. Mm-hmm. It takes longer than usually like the light like games on my light list take. Yeah. And that was like one of the factors that right. bumped it over this one. And that was QE. Great. Well, interesting list so far. Um, there's been some games that I didn't expect to turn up on people's lists. A lot of games that I thought I would have lower than other people and vice versa. 
um, and our first couple of overlaps. Yeah, my biggest thing is how many games you guys mentioned that I just want to play. <laughs> mm. I I should stop playing new games and just start playing old games that I haven't got a chance to to play yet. And maybe that's something that I'm going to start doing moving forward and and trying to get some of these games that probably should be on my list, but just I haven't had enough time to fully find out. Yeah. I want to immediately backpedal and say I will probably have the most crossover with everyone now. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yeah. Is not what Robin said? Yeah, but I said the opposite, and I regret, oh. <laughs> regret everything. Oh. Jim is like a glue. I'm the glue that holds us together, yeah, guys. Yeah. So. Yeah. And thus ends episode one of our top 50 games of all time. Um, 50 to 41? Yeah, 50 to 41. Quite the list so far. Yeah, I'm just in, in shock at some of these results in a good way. Which is most shocking? I don't know. I still can't believe I have lost Ruins of Arnak higher than Robin. Right. I think I played it online enough that in some ways it lost its magic and I realized what it was. And it's still good, but it isn't an adventure game. It's not a deck building game. It is a resource conversion game. So far, AB's going all according to script for me. Is, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just quality Euro games. Just... Yeah, yeah. My, my, list, uh, my list doesn't shift a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it takes... A while and we'll talk about this like probably after the last one but there are a lot of newer games that could maybe be on this list but i don't think i i don't i'm not sure yet like mm -hmm. i've only played it a couple times and i don't know if i'll have the staying power um so recent ones being like barrage or darwin's journey and things like that haven't yet bumped itself up to the list but yeah surprisingly mini golf designer did <laughs> So that's all the time we have for this first episode of our top 50. I hope you've discovered a bit more about what really drives our love into board games, both style designers and... Well, cover, cover depictions. Art. Yeah. yeah, cover art <laughs> depictions, yeah. As usual, we look forward to hearing your opinions on our podcast especially what games might hit your top 50 list if you'd like to count down with us jump onto the discord server and join our episode channel thanks so much for listening we'll see you next week with numbers 40 to 31 have a great day you've been great i've been better this is the discard <laughs> pile no. Okay. Yeah, this okay. list is is no, no risk of getting going in the discard pile. <laughs>
So, and what do Sherlock Holmes have against elderly people? Well, Brass Lancashire. Mm-hmm. La- Brass Lancaster. No. Lancashire. Lancashire. My number 42 game is. And that is Brass Lancashire. Um, Good luck with that one, Robin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just edit that so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it all in. It's fine. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, to tell your opponent the word you want, but to use as little information as possible. So if my word is. Oh. <laughs> Walked yourself into a corner I here. I did, yeah. That was a mistake. Um, no example. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no example, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's like we're doing an honorable mention at the end, but I don't have a single assert on my list. Because uh, these, wow. these are the advanced statistics that I'm interested in. Right. I'm yeah. hoping you've listed that we, me and you, have had one overlap each. Yeah. Like with, well, isn't it two overlaps then? Well, yeah, two overlaps, two connections between me and Robin, and so far zero connections with Avi. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No coin. No. What you call it? I no have a listener. coin-ish. Okay, well, yeah, okay. we're only at 50 to 41. <laughs> we're at 50 to 41. No, but yeah. I just mean like yeah. those are two types of games that could both be on my list but are not because of plays. Mm. You know, mm. if I had a like, what do I most likely think would be on my top 50? Right. They'd, be, they'd make it. I like the plays on that theme. Like that game that was like, where you're the shopkeepers. You're just like the RPG game shopkeepers. I don't think the game was very good. Bargain Quest? Bargain yeah, something quest. like that, yeah. It's right there. It's right there. <laughs> it's right there, baby. Damn, you're calling oh, out Jim's higher games on his Ooh. list. Ooh. <laughs> okay. In the meantime, we're going to take ourselves, reshuffle, and draw seven new ones on next episode of The Discard Pile. That was a lousy one. The disc- you just gotta say the discard pile normally. The right? discard pile. That's not normally. The discard pile. <laughs> oh the my God, pile. Turn it off. <laughs>